You're listening to the Contemplative Podcast. Contemplative Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Contemplative Podcast with myself, Matt Emery, and in conjunction with Contemplative Classical and Headphone Commute. If you're new, please do subscribe for our monthly podcast playlists and interviews and do check out our previous episodes chatting with the likes of Luke Howard, Yoat Beving, Hannah Pill, Nanita Desai, Sebastian Plano, Michael Price, Carly Parody and a whole range of other amazing artists. In this episode, I'm delighted to chat with award-winning producer and composer Robert Koch, also known as Robot Koch and more recently under the name Foam and Sand. I've known Robert for a few years now and it was great to sit down and hear more about how he got into making music and his early influences, his two most recent albums, The Next Billion Years and Sphere, touring planetariums, working with an orchestra, his label and publisher Trees and Cyborgs and a little bit more about his new project Foam and Sand. As always, there'll be music along the way, starting with this beautiful piece called Liquid, taken from Robert's recent album, The Next Billion Years. to the Contemplative Podcast. Um, it's brilliant to have you on. I know we've been speaking now for quite a few years, mostly. I don't think we've actually ever spoken in person, so it's lovely no, we haven't. to yeah. speak to you face to face. Yeah, I've been, I've been an admirer of your music for many years now. And um, yeah, it's, it's great to have you on. We'll, we'll maybe start to get some background information about you. Um, we'll start right at the beginning, if that's okay. I know um, you've been doing music from a very young age, um, your bio says that you sort of playing piano at six and drums at 13. When, when did you start uh-huh. making your own music and, and uh, yeah, wh- where did it all begin? Right. Yeah. So I grew up um, basically on my mom's music taste pretty much because that, that was the music I was exposed to living in, in, you know, our house. She was playing a lot of Motown tapes back in the day, you know, like Supremes, um, Isaac Hayes, Four Tops, that kind of stuff. Um, so when I became a little older, I wanted to, you know, kind of sort of rebel against my mom's <laughs> taste because I was just like a passive listener. 
And I went into a more di extreme direction. I actually got into like really extreme metal and guitar music at the time. That's when I started playing drums. But then I was like, because I was really fascinated by the skills of the drums in that particular genre. But then I discovered jazz. I was like, you, you think metal drumming is difficult and it is, but then there's jazz. You're like, okay, let me, let me tinker with that. And <laughs> from jazz, I got into hip hop because I realized a lot of the jazz records got sampled. From hip hop, I got into beat making in like the early 19s, like Ninja Tune, Mo Wax type stuff. And then it was a short way for me starting to produce beats myself, you know. So that's pretty much in a nutshell how I came from Motown via death metal to hip hop. And then, <laughs> you know, the sky's the limit. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, what what were your musical influence? I mean, you've you've just touched on it briefly there, but like um were you did you play in bands and things or or did you get straight into the producing side of things? Yeah, no, no. I did play drums in, in a couple of metal bands, um, age 14 to maybe 17. And then I played into uh, some more post-rock experimental type outfits that were like sort of hybrid jazz beats kind of stuff. I was a drummer only then, you know, so I wasn't producing at the time. But I got a little bored just being the, the drums in, in, a, in a track because I had more compositional ideas already and I couldn't quite express them because I only played drums and a little piano. So I honed in on my piano skills a little more and um, got an early version of Fruity Loops back in the day and like a free version of Magic Music Maker, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so I started producing a few beats and laid down some MIDI um, piano. So those were the early days of me working more in the, in the production kind of realm, you know. Yeah. And did, were, you, were you producing your own music or were you producing for other people? No, I was just producing my own music, actually. I released my first record in 2000. That was a project which I made with a um, friend of mine, which was very much in the realm of like jazzy ninja, ninja tune type beats. Um, uh, that was in 99, 2000. Um, and we just pressed up 500 vinyls and sold them at local record stores and stuff like that, you know. So it wasn't even like a proper distribution or a proper label at the time. Um, but then I, I was in a band called Jacuzzi a few years later, which was um, actually fronted by a London-born singer, uh, Sasha Pereira. She makes music under Pereira elsewhere still these days. And the bass player from uh, Tel Aviv. So we were a band that was playing a lot, actually, like worldwide, pretty much. We were... Those were the MySpace days, you know. Where ah, you could, those were you know, the days. Create, remember when you just had like promoters reaching out and be like, what do you play in uh, San Francisco? And we're like, how do we make this happen? This was before we even had a booking agency, you know. Yeah. So those were fun times, you know. We were flying around a lot. It wasn't a lot of money we made, but it was always like a break even, you know. So we, we got to see places. We got to play a lot of shows. Um, but eventually the word got out that, Jacuzzi was like a cool band or whatever, and I was the producer of that band. So other people started reaching out and asking about production, also like bigger labels. And um, so that's when I got into production as a proper producer. Yeah. Um, that was around 2003, four, And from then on, I produced both my band Jacuzzi and other people's music. Um, which also earned me some golden platinum records, actually, not for my music, but for, for music that I produced, wow, um, yes. like some some German um, hip-hop artist that went big with some records I produced for him. Um, 
And in 2008, I split up with Jacuzzi because I was like so tired of touring because we were on a pretty tight touring schedule. And I found that I couldn't really make as much music as I wanted to because I was constantly, you know, dropping my bags and picking them back up to go to the airport. It didn't feel like I was ever in the zone to just like be in the studio, which is what I love. You know, I just like to create more than anything. I'm not super big on playing live. I like it. But if I had to choose between studio and stage, it would be studio all day, you know, yeah. for me, that's just like where the magic happens. Um, so I split up with Jacuzzi or I just um, basically ended my um, presence in the band. They continued on for a little bit without me. So I was just a producer. But um, that's when Robert Koch started. That was in 2009. That's when I produced my first solo record under that moniker. And it came out and it pretty much out of the gate had some good support from Marion Hobbs in the UK and some... Uh, you know, people in the States, Low in Theory, Gaslamp Killer, Flying Lotus, these people were picking up on it. Um, and yeah, that was the start of my solo career, so to speak, you know. And then I started having some placements in, in movies with my music and then TV shows. That was pretty much the era from 2009 until pretty much now, because I released like, what, five Robert Koch albums by now and a couple of singles and EPs. And yeah, what have done some soundtrack stuff too. So I pretty much fulfilled my dream of being more of a composer, producer person. I still play out live, but not as much as before. So yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell. kind of linked yourself perfectly onto my next question because I was going to fast forward now to your most recent album and um, the next billion years which is a beautiful mix of orchestral sort of modern classical meets the sort of ambient and electronic beats as well and um, right. yeah I just wondered can you tell us a bit more about that did you always envisage your music sort of going in that orchestral direction um you know it's a perfect merge of of both worlds mm -hmm. coming together and i think uh i think your albums they are like 
encapsulated little worlds within themselves especially you know the last mm. few that you've done especially um yeah. I feel like there's a bit of science in there there's a bit of all sorts and you've kind of just creating your own little environment for people to escape to is uh yeah was, was yeah. there any you know what was the what were you thinking when you were making your latest record yeah so that's that's nice that you pick up on that because I've, i felt like um my music always had like a cinematic very atmospheric um vibe to it or at least that's what i wanted it to have and um the story i just described to you when i was playing out uh in the clubs etc it was i was forced to play music that wasn't necessarily the music i wanted to make oftentimes because if you're in the club at 4 a.m it's got to be more bass heavy and like like upbeat or whatever you know um so i always remixed my tracks and made them work for festival stages etc but the more i stopped playing shows the more i could hone in on the music which naturally was more cinematic more atmospheric more ambient lots of texture that's what i like you know I'm, I'm, and the first music that's what i forgot to mention earlier uh, the first music that i bought myself were actually uh, soundtracks to movies you know john williams the star wars score or just like um john carpenter stuff you know the fog and then i got a vinyl of that so i was always into film music at very early age even before i started playing piano it was just something that i was intrigued by and space in general i remember at a very very early age just sitting at the piano and pressing a note and just enjoying how just barely being able to reach the the, the sustain pedal you know how the sound reverberates in the body of the piano i just could just enjoy that sensation yeah. as a kid i didn't even have to play a melody so i think i always gravitated towards bassiness and sound so to answer your question about the next billion years that was a concept record really about the future of our humanity um like the long-term future because when we think about the future we think about our lives maybe the lives of our kids but nobody really thinks about the next hundred thousand million let alone billion years you know yeah. so i was like really intrigued by that i actually found a tape cassette by um jacques Cousteau, you know the marine uh biologist um and he spoke about that uh, in one of his lectures. And um, I couldn't find it anywhere online. I was researching that particular lecture that he gave at a university, seemingly. But it was only on that tape, you know. It was, it was nowhere else. I was like, wow, that's, that's like a... I love these synchronicities when you just find something and it yeah. just speaks to you and gives you ideas. So that whole idea of the next billion years um, just stuck with me. And I wanted to create a record around it that felt timeless, felt futuristic, but also, um, yeah, felt like a soundtrack to something that could be like a sci-fi film that deals with that topic. So that's why I wanted it to be lush and orchestral on one hand, but also scientific and electronic in a way. So it's, it's like you said, it's a marriage of both of these worlds that interest me. Yeah. Is that the first time you've worked with um, sort of a string orchestra or ensemble? It's the first time I worked with a bigger orchestra. I've worked with like chamber orchestras before or like chamber ensembles. Um, but this is the first time I, I got to work with like brass, woodwinds, like the whole thing, like percussion, big string section. This was a different experience and, and very inspiring for me to, to be able to embrace that, you know, color palette of a full orchestra and, and write for that, you know, because I'm not a classically trained musician. So I had to write everything in MIDI and work with an orchestrator to translate it sort of for the, for the players, you know, the, the discrete parts. Um, so that was a steep learning curve for me also, because I, I have done 
string writing before, but not that extensive. And we flew to Estonia to record um, Christian Järvi with his orchestra. He's a very renowned conductor in that uh, classical world, um, worked with uh, Max Richter and Abu Perth and comes from a long lineage of uh, conductors, actually. And that was just beautiful, working with him and seeing how my music came to life through the orchestra, you know, because I had only the MIDI tracks before and it can only tell you so much. But once once I was in the room and I heard it, I was like, oh my God, yeah, it's happening. There's, some, <laughs> there's something about it, isn't it? Hearing your work come to life with real players. There's there's no feeling mm -hmm. like it. It's, it's a unique There feeling. isn't. Yeah. yeah, 100%. talk about sphere because i think that's a really special album um obviously yeah i think it's more than an album obviously it's an experience um with the audio and the visual side to it which um for anyone who doesn't know the album you toured that actually in planetariums and you had uh, a whole visual experience to go with it how how did you come up with that concept that so it looked like a lot of work i mean it looks amazing yeah and, and will you be bringing it back at some point when when things come alive again so. in the world because i really you hope so yeah yeah you haven't made it to london and i'm desperate to see it so i know yeah we actually had some some shows lined up in the uk but you know COVID happened i mean we had like a whole world tour planned we did play a world tour in 2019 but then 2020 we were supposed to continue in even more countries and then that never happened um, but yeah, just in a nutshell, um, I was describing earlier how I was a little tired of playing out and I was trying to reinvent a, a life setup for me that still inspired me, you know, that was beyond like typical stage, uh, the stages that I would play. Um, so I went to the planetarium in Berlin and I was like, can I play here? And they were like, yeah, people play here, but, um, you know, it's, it's just like they take the, the show they would play in the club into the planetarium. But I was like, I kind of imagine something made for the planetarium so i want to you know embrace the 360 sound system you guys have in here and like produce 360 visuals for the dome etc so they were like yeah you can do that but it's going to take you a lot of time because um, like one minute of the rendering for those visual takes a week you know and wow. so for a 45 minute show we did end up rendering visuals for 45 weeks with the help of the planetarium, because they have huge render farms uh, at their disposal. But um, 
it was crazy. It was a lot of work. Also mixing the whole show in uh, Ambisonics, third order Ambisonics is something that I have never done before. But it's also really awesome because you can just decide which sound comes from where and, you know, up and above and everything. So, yeah, it's an immersive experience, 360 visual surround sound. You're completely immersed in the show. You don't know where you are anymore. Yeah. And um, the album Sphere is like maybe one of my favorite albums I've put out just because before I released it, I was scared it would be too dark because a lot of my music before was also dark, but also pretty in a way. It had like beautiful moments and there were like really dark moments on Sphere. Um, but together with the, with the visuals and everything, it made sense. It's just like a, a journey into the unknown. And that's always connected to fear inherently. You know, you yeah. just, what you don't know, you, you fear in a way, you know, and unless you find out about it, then you, then you know you, you have nothing to fear because it just is what it is. I think we're just always a little um, scared of the unknown. and Our fear is more of what we think it is rather than what it is. You know? yes. So it's our projection oftentimes. So that sphere was all about that, you know, discovering the, the unknowns um, in the micro and in the macro space also because it deals with otherworldly universal imagery, but it's also micro, like in veins and in, in the body, you know, like amoeba type things. So it's like sometimes you don't know if you're in the body of a spaceship or if you're flying through the veins of an organism, you know. So yeah. that's that whole micro macro play visually and, and um, musically too. and cyborgs which you set up in 2016 um yeah you've, you've obviously released quite a few of your collaborations on there as well um is it nice to obviously you've released on sort of a lot of great labels but is it nice to mm -hmm. have sort of that full control of you know that full control of how and when you release your music and yeah a bit more a bit more say over yeah Exactly. And it's also honestly like in, in the modern day and age with like the streaming platforms and with um, sync placements, etc. You kind of want to be the owner of your masters and of your publishing, really, because I own the publishing company too, also called Trees and Cyborgs, um, which I um, administer through Sony AD ATV. 
So they, they are the back end, so to speak, but I own the rights. And the same is true for Trees and Cyborgs on the label side. I'm just the master owner. And I think that's important for artists nowadays to own their masters unless there's a good reason to sign them away to another label, which in the case of the next billion years, it was uh, Modern Recordings, which is BMG. And I just needed budget to record an orchestra because quite honestly, it's quite an endeavor to fly to Estonia, record like a big orchestra, etc. Yes. So you do, don't just do that on your own indie label budget, you know. So <laughs> for, for those reasons, it makes sense to partner with bigger entities yeah. like that. But on a daily schedule or like a monthly schedule or whatever, I try to release rather frequently. Um, not daily, but, you know, like frequently as in every couple of months. Um, I do want to have my own say. And yeah, so my own label makes a lot of sense for me. Amazing. Amazing. And you've um, obviously done a lot of collaborations uh, on your label. There's um, sort of May, Delia de France. And there's your other projects and um, Dreaming of Ghosts, which is with Fiora. I think mm-hmm. I might be right. And That's I know, correct. Yeah. I know uh, you've you've also worked a lot with Julian Marshall. It seems like collaborations yeah. is quite important to you within your work. I love it. I love it. For me, it's always like one plus one equals three. You know, you just come up with something that's bigger than the sum of the two parts. And um, I get different ideas when I work with people just because whatever they bring to the table triggers something in me that makes me think differently about both what I would add and what they have delivered. So... I just like it. It's, it's, it's something that's, it's like a conversation, you know, like music is uh, a language too. And it, it's, a, it's a dialogue and uh, I just really enjoy that. And I, I enjoy working with people. That's the part of being a producer that I enjoy too, when I produce somebody else's record. Yeah. It's really about having that conversation, understanding where that person is coming from personally. And uh, then just translating a lot of those emotions and thoughts into music. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah, amazing. Is is there anyone if you could collaborate with anyone? Is there a, is there a dream collaboration that you would love to anyone that you'd love to work with? Yeah, that's a good question. I get asked that a lot, and I never quite seem to um, be able to answer it when I'm put on the spot because I'm always like half an hour later, I'm like, ah, I should have said this. I should have said that. <laughs> Honestly, um, nowadays I would like to collaborate with film directors. So if I could choose anyone, it would be. Um, people whose movies I enjoy, you know, um, for example, um, uh, Dennis uh, Villeneuve, maybe he says his name wrong, but the guy who, who made Arrival, um, I really enjoyed that that movie. Or um, I can imagine oh, you're, I, that's a perfect movie for you to score. I can see that. It's, uh, yeah, yeah it's a lot, there's those a lot kind of, of uh, like intelligent sci-fi, you know, that's, that's what I enjoy. Um, I think I could do a good job um, at that kind of movie. Ridley Scott, you know, I'm a big fan of Alien. I know he's he's old and I'm not sure how many movies he's still planning to make, but I'm a big fan of his. So yeah, like these dream collabos would be probably with a director more than with a other a musician these days.
and and uh, I feel like I have to also bring up remixes because you've remixed some amazing people from Nora Jones, Christian Loeffler, um, Max Richter. Is there have you got a way of when working when you're doing remixes? Is or is it just go with the flow, or is there a you know do you, do you have a image when you listen to someone else's song, think ah oh, I'd, I'd I'd maybe treat it that way, or is it more a, a you get the stems and then just go with what what comes next yeah yeah it's the latter honestly you know i always want to try to be more um sort of conceptual about it but it never really works because when i start playing with the stems and, and an idea comes up it just takes me into a direction i just don't want to resist it you know so even if i think i want this to be a um down tempo track or i don't want it to be upbeat or whatever and then maybe i do end up you know with something that's more driving And uh, I didn't expect it to be all the other way around. I wanted to make something that's more, you know, not beat heavy. And then it's just like this lush ambient piece. It's like whatever the music tells me to do, I, I sort of follow, you know. So, yeah, there's not much, not much planning around that. Yeah, awesome. And, and the very last question is, what, what else have you got that you can tell us about going on this year? I know you've just, um, which we haven't talked about, you just did the soundtrack for Zoo. Yeah, um, but is is there anything else that you can tell us that um, yeah is, is that you, you're working on this year? Um, so there's no Robert Koch uh, album on the horizon yet, but I'm working on a lot of music. So let's see if this manifests into something. Maybe it's just a couple of singles or an EP. I don't know yet. You know, like it's also with Sphere, it started with a few tracks, and I didn't see the big picture until much later when I had the whole idea about the Planetarium show, and then. A lot of the songs made sense and then it kind of, you know, it, it, it just comes into light, you know, so to speak, what, what the album is. Yeah, it almost it reveals, reveals itself, itself to you. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Thank you. And um, that hasn't happened yet for a new record, but there's a lots, lots of like uh, bits and pieces lying around that are, um, I like them. They go in different directions. So let's see if they form an album or if they form, as I said earlier, like singles or EPs, because I want to also be more um, prolific in that way, not hold on to stuff for too long, you know, because that happens if you're just like writing music. And when I made Sphere, I wrote four times the amount of the music that's on that actual record. Yeah. Um, and that happens a lot. And I just want to be more, here's a cool song. Why not just release it? You know, not, not be so attached to it because yeah. um I do come from an era where I think an album as a body of work is something beautiful, but I also really enjoy, you know, with the day and age of Spotify and stuff, just like putting out singles here and there and letting them be, you know? Um, so both full I albums and singles can be expected. And also on my label, there's a project called Foam and Sand, which is an ambient project. There's going to be a new um, Dreaming of Ghost records, which we're working on. There's a bunch of stuff with Delia de France that I've been making. I don't know if that's going to be on her solo thing or if we're going to turn them into some collab tracks. So, yeah, right now is just the time to make, you know, and the lockdown has been really productive for me like that. Um, but I can't tell you quite yet how they actually end up manifesting. Yeah. Um, as products, speaking of albums or whatever. Yeah. I like I like that you've mentioned there. Um I think in in this modern age more than ever that I think you can write amazing tracks that don't suddenly fit on an album 
um, that you can be so proud of. And you and I think mm-hmm. as past has gone by, those tracks have been lost. Whereas I think in this day and age, um, it is so much easier to just release a single digitally or on Spotify. Yes. And I think there are, you know, there's there's positives and negatives to it all. But I think as they are, that, for sure. that yeah. is a real positive that there is, um, I think there's a lot more songs being saved, so to speak, where people are like, don't worry, yes. we'll, we'll, we know it's a great track and we can release that at a later stage, which is... Yeah. Yeah. And you know, music doesn't have a shelf life anymore because if you put out a single and maybe it doesn't end up being uh, in a playlist or whatever, so it's like deemed unsuccessful at the time. I had that with a lot of singles and then later they were used in movies or TV uh, scores and then people discovered it, like literally like years later. Yeah. And that's kind of beautiful because before you had the record on the shelf and if it didn't sell, it just disappeared from the shelf. But with the DSPs, it's just there forever, pretty much, or as, as long as the internet exists, yeah. uh, I guess. So that's also nice for, for music to be discovered even way past the, the time when it's released. Um, and and that's, that's beautiful, I think. Yeah, awesome. Well, I will, um, I think we'll, yeah, have to say goodbye there, but it's so lovely to speak to you in person. And thank you so much for taking the time today. Likewise, thanks so much. Thank you, Matt. Mm-hmm.